Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 404 for the seventh of TVs in a regular year. Do you ever have the experience of a friend or perhaps a loved one in your family doing something for you out of, quote unquote, the kindness of their heart, but it's something that you really don't enjoy, something you really don't appreciate, and something that, in fact, your friend or loved one should have known that you don't enjoy or appreciate. Maybe it's something that you told them explicitly that you don't like but your friend did it for you anyways. For example, let's think of somebody who is very, very shy by nature and very introverted and, you know, maybe even has like some kind of PTSD attached to loud sounds and things like that. And let's say they have a very good friend who knows this about them, but nevertheless, the good friend kind of dismisses this and throws them a surprise party with a hundred people. (laughs) And as a result of this, the friend ends up getting a panic attack and, you know, doesn't, enjoy their party at all. Sure, the the friend that threw the party has a great time. And perhaps the friend that threw the party might feel like kind of resentful, like, hey, I put in all this work for you and you're not even enjoying this party I threw for you. The problem is this friend that threw the party may have had the best intentions in the world, but they're not being attuned to what it is that their friend who has the birthday really needs, really wants. I recently read a book by Gabor Mate, who I think I've mentioned previously on this podcast, uh, on the subject of addiction, but it's actually a book that's relevant to anybody, (laughs) whether you have an addiction or not, or think you have an addiction or not. Actually, once you read this book, you realize that we're all pretty much addicts to some extent or another, and it's really a, uh, a spectrum. Um, so the book is called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, um, Close Encounters with Addiction. And in that book, Gabor Mate talks about this, this idea that uh, one running theme that a lot of addicts seem to have is that they had parents who maybe were very loving towards them, but they weren't attuned to them. So they may have given a lot of love to them in a certain way. But they didn't give them love. They didn't give them what this, what the child needed. They didn't acknowledge their feelings, their emotions. Um, they didn't meet the child where they were at. So why am I bringing all of this up today? Because today, this is the subject of our podcast. This is the subject of the Tanya. But instead of talking about this in terms of parent, child, friend, loved one, that kind of thing, it's actually talking about our relationship with God and how it is that we give to God. And how a person might have the best intentions of the world in terms of serving God, in terms of connecting with God. But if they're doing it in a way that is explicitly against God's will, then this is not going to be very helpful. And in fact, it's actually going to be very detrimental. 
versus if you do what God asks you to do, and God is very clear about what he asks us to do. He gave us very specific commandments. Even if you don't necessarily have the best intentions while living in a way that's in accordance with God's will, and perhaps, you know, that is something to work on as well, because, you know, even if, if a parent is very attuned to a child or a friend is very attuned to another friend, um, I mean, it's nice to be attuned, like kind of by accident, like maybe you just happen to have the same personality as friend or your loved one. And so then you're kind of naturally attuned to them. And this is what you enjoy. This is the person you enjoy giving to you because they, they really get you. You really get them. But um, but obviously the best thing is to actually be attuned with intention, to really be a, very attentive. Um, so the way that this translates basically is we've been discussing different like categories in, in our world of, of things that we can do in our world. And this idea of good and bad and how uh, one kind of like very basic way that we can understand the difference between goodness and evil is that evil is really, it's actually very broad. It's anything that we do without the explicit intention to serve God. So it encompasses a lot, many more activities than we might have thought. However, nevertheless, we did kind of uh, specify that there are two levels within this world of evil which in a Kabbalistic terminology can be called the Sitra Achra or the Klipos, the husks. And we talked about how there are two different types of husks. There's the three impure husks, which encompass the realm of actual forbidden activities that are explicitly forbidden by the Torah and uh, those things that go explicitly against the world of God. And then there's the level of Klipas Noga, which is a little bit more quote unquote neutral, meaning to say that that's the realm of things, activities that are not necessarily things that we do as like an explicit mitzvah, like, you know, reading from the Torah, putting on tefillin, things like that. But, um, but they're just, you know, sort of eating and drinking permissible foods. But do you have the right intention when you eat and, and drink permissible foods? Maybe yes, maybe no. It can kind of go either way. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to, so, so today's section, which is uh, the beginning of chapter eight of Lukatea Marm, is divided up into two parts. First part describes a state of affairs where you have a person who is eating and drinking and they actually have really good intention while they're eating and drinking. What does that mean that they have good intention? Is that they're not eating and drinking the food just to indulge their senses and their body, but they're actually eating and drinking the food with the intention to serve God, to use the energy from this food to serve God and to to uh, to do mitzvahs and things like that. Now, there's only one problem. What's the problem? The problem is that the food and drink that they're eating and drinking is not kosher. So on first glance, you can say, okay, like, fine. That's all, you know, that's, that's just like a little technicality. So, you know, it's the, the shochet didn't kill the cow properly. Uh, like sure. Okay. We used like, there's a, there's a little bit of cheese in that hamburger that you're eating. <laughs> What's the big deal? Fine. You know, let's just ignore that. I mean, I'm using it for a holy purpose. Like, is it, is it really that important, you know, um, to be keeping the strict letter of the law with koshers? And we'll learn that indeed it is. And indeed that somebody could have the best intention in the world, but if the food that they're eating is not kosher, if whatever behavior they're doing is not kosher, it's really, really destructive. And that in fact, foods that are, uh, and objects that are explicitly f forbidden by Torah, the reason why 
they're called asur in Hebrew is because the word asur means bound, meaning to say that the, the holiness, the godliness that's found within them, because again, everything really does come from godliness. God is the source of everything, but yet the godliness in them is bound. It's trapped. There's absolutely no way that we can redeem this, these sparks, uh, by using these objects, even if we have the best, best, best intention by using them. Again, we can liken this to the person who's throwing the surprise party for a person who's very, very shy and who has PTSD. The person could have the best of intentions, um, you know, when throwing this party for the person. But nevertheless, there is no way that this shy person is going to enjoy a surprise party. They're just not. That's not their makeup. That's not what they want. The friend who's throwing the party is not attuned to this friend's needs. On the other hand, then we have this second section of the Tanya today. And the second section describes somebody who does eat kosher food, who does um, eat uh, kosher to drink kosher drinks. Um, the only issue here, so in each situation, it's not an ideal situation. The only issue here is that the person doesn't necessarily have the right intentions when doing so. They go to a kosher steakhouse to get the best wine, the best steak, but they're just indulging and they're just eating and eating and eating. They're not thinking about God. They're just thinking about indulging their senses. They're in a very hedonistic state of mind. Uh, so that's not great either. But nevertheless, even though it's not great, it actually is redeemable and it actually is preferable um, than the first situation because in this situation of this hedonist but in kosher things can be redeemed. The process is not going to be that simple, but it can, it, it can happen. And this is because it's still like we're, we're, we're still in like familiar territory. Like once a person starts eating non-kosher food, um, this is like foreign. This is foreign to a Jewish person, person's soul. It's not, it's like you're embarking in foreign pastures, basically. This is not um, connected to you. It's not even, a. we'll find out actually that it's called a non-Jewish Yitzhahara uh, or a non-Jewish demon, in fact. Versus when a person indulges in kosher food and they're, you know, really in this very indulgent state, that's like, it's, it's a little bit more understandable. It's called a Jewish demon. It's like, okay, this is the, yeah, we, we kind of, as Jews, we're not perfect and we have these tendencies. Um, the thing to recognize though, and this is what the ultra is going to really focus on in today's, uh, Tanya is not so much on the redemption that happens, but actually on the descent into into negativity, into evil that happens when a person is indulging in these kosher foods in an in a improper way. So while yes, you know there is it is preferable than indulging in non-kosher food for sure. Nevertheless, when a person is actually indulging in kosher foods even, but doing so just to uh, to fill their senses, just to do so, you know, without a sense of God, at that moment, then they're actually bringing this food, which comes from this place of klipas noga, which is that more, a little bit higher kind of klipos, that's more uh, translucent husks that can go either way, those neutral husks. They're actually bringing them down into into negativity, into the sitra achra, into the three negative klipos, to the point that, uh, that even after uh, the person, let's say, does tshuva afterwards and recognizes, oh, wow, you know, I really shouldn't have had that right intention. There's still a remnant of that, um, like a trace of that negativity that stays on their body, which only eventually gets eradicated after the person dies uh, in a process called chibuta kevel, which is the purgatory of the grave, which is kind of like this cleansing process that the body goes through after it passes away.
So that's a brief summary of you know what what uh, the Tanya is going to talk about today. Um, so just to look at it from the text perspective. So just to go through the text here uh, and see how the Alter Rebbe explains all this. So first, as I mentioned, so again we're in chapter eight of Likutei Amarim, the beginning of chapter eight. So first, the Alter Rebbe talks about this idea of forbidden foods, and he says that forbidden foods, the reason why they're called forbidden, which in Hebrew is asur or isur in Hebrew, is because of this because the word isur means bound, as we mentioned. Which means that even if somebody ate uh, food that forbidden, and in fact, the ultra rabbit takes it even further than what I mentioned in the introduction. It's somebody who actually eats food by mistake, by accident, that's forbidden. So let's say it's like you go to a kosher steakhouse and you don't realize that they're actually feeding you, God forbid, unkosher food. God forbid, you know, that this should happen. Unfortunately, we've heard instances of, of this kind of thing happening. And the person goes, they eat that food and they use the energy from the food from this unkosher fruit to serve God. And indeed, after eating this food, they go and they pray and, you know, do all kinds of different things to serve God. And they use the, the energy that they gain from the food to have the energy to do this. Nevertheless, even though, yes, the intention is there, the vitality that is found within this food does not rise up into the letters of the Torah or uh, the letters of prayer like it would were this food be permitted, uh, permitted because this idea of isol, this idea of forbidden, it means that it's bound, it's trapped in the hands of the sitra achra, the other side, um, which comes from the three impure klipos. And this is true, not just like really grave kind of pro uh, prohibitions, but even prohibitions that come from the rabbis that are rabbinical. Because we know that there's this principle actually that, uh, and this comes from the Mishnah, in Sanhedrin, page 88b, and it's also alluded to in Bamid Barabbah, uh, 1412, this idea that divrei sofrim, or chamurim, divrei sofrim, you tell me divrei Torah, that the rabbinical prohibitions are even more stringent than the words of the Torah. So this is why when we talk about the, this idea of having a yitzhahara, having a, uh, a drive, a craving for for forbidden objects, this is called a non-Jewish demon. It's a, it's a demon that comes from the non-Jewish demons. Why? Because as we mentioned previously in the Tanya, the, non, the souls of the non-Jews come from these three impure klipos. So it's like, it's not like shayach for a Jew to crave unkosher items. Like a Jewish soul in its, in its pure, like when it's in a healthy, normal state of being, it doesn't crave pork. It doesn't crave cheeseburgers. Like these things just don't appeal to it. Um, but so if, if a Jewish person does, God forbid, crave these things, then this type of craving that they have, this Yitzhahara that they have in the moment is called a non-Jewish cra uh, craving, a non-Jewish Yitzhahara. So it's, it's a foreign kind of thing. Um, which is not the case. Now the ultra is going to switch and talk about this idea of somebody who has a Yitzhahara, a Jew that has a Yitzhahara for permissible things in order to fill their senses. So this is something that, again, it's not ideal because, again, ideally, we're supposed to only desire God. We're only supposed to desire things because they're going to help us serve God. But yet, yes, we're human. And often we find that, you know, let's say we have a situation where we crave permissible foods. So they're not forbidden. They're not trafe foods. They're permissible foods but we crave them in an indulgent way we want to we're just so like oh wow those donuts you know we just finished Hanukkah pretty recently like we just want to eat those donuts you know just because it feels good like or how many of us are really thinking about um 
serving God while eating the donut. I mean, maybe, maybe you are, and that's hopefully what the Tani is going to help us get to. But in a situation of somebody who's not, somebody who's eating a kosher donut, they got it at the kosher bakery, but yet their mindset is very is a very indulgent one. This is ca- also called a demon, but it's called a Jewish demon. It's called a shed mishedin yehudin, yehudain. And why is it called a Jewish demon? Because in this case, the energy um, that that's being used to eat the food can be uh, returned back to holiness. So again, that's the difference between klupas noga and the three impure klupas. Klupas noga does has the have the potential to be elevated, versus the three impure klupas do not. Um, nevertheless, so, okay, so that sounds like good news, right? That it's like, even if you eat stuff that's kosher, but you do it in an indulgent way, it can be redeemed. So that that's pretty good. Nevertheless, we'll see that there are two, um, kind of caveats to that. First of all, while the person is, uh, is engaged in the act of, of indulgent before it went back to holiness, then it's considered to be sitra ahra and klipa. It's considered to be really this other side and this, this husk. It's, it's in a state of concealment. It's in a state of negativity. And not only that, even afterwards, even after the person goes and, and does tshuva, you know, and goes through this pro- process of repentance, um, there's still going to be a trace of this negativity on their body. Why? Because we know that there's this idea that we spoke about previously in the Tanya, any food or drink that a person eats um, or drinks becomes part of their flesh. So it's like, it's become a part of you. And since like, while a person is this person we're describing while they were eating it, they, they, they were in this very indulgent negative mindset, which meant that they were bringing this food down into the klipos and into the sitra achra. Even after the person went through a process of chiva, there's still a trace of it. And this is why the body is going to need what's called chibuta kever, the purgatory of the grave, which is a certain cleansing process that the, um, that, that happens after a person passes away. Uh, that's not a very pleasant one. You know, it's, it's very uncomfortable, but this is, um, and and specific to the body, this purification that happens, and this and this um, this chibota kever, this purgatory of the grave, this causes a cleansing and a purification from the impurity that it receives in any enjoyment in this world. So uh, most people in the world are going to have to go through this because how many of us can truly say that we don't go through the world without really feeling any kind of enjoyment in a purely just physical sensory sense? Um, that's that's, you know, that's not directed specifically towards God. And, um, and the only type of people that would not necessarily have to go through this process, the chipu de kever, would be like very, very special individuals, people who never enjoyed this world at all, who didn't have any worldly enjoyment from this world, um, from in a purely, you know, physical hedonistic sense. And the ultra Rabbi brings an example for someone like this, which is Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, otherwise known as Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Um, so he supposedly he was just on such a high level that he did not get any enjoyment out of this physical world, and so he did not have to go undergo this this purgatory of the grave. So that's it for today, and we'll continue tomorrow when we conclude this chapter eight, and I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. 
To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.